I'm going to invite all of you this morning to take your Bibles and to go to Luke chapter 1. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 1. Now let's go over and see the perspective through the Holy Spirit of this doctor, this medical doctor, Luke. And how he unfolds the story as it relates specifically to Mary. Um, We're continuing this Advent season on just studying about different perspectives of the Christmas story. Last week, obviously, uh, Joseph. This week, Mary. Last year, we took time and we, we talked about the perspectives of the wise men and the shepherds. I don't know if you remember that last year. Um, we took time looking at the perspective of the angels. That's one perspective that we often just kind of ignore. But the perspective of the angels. How did they see this story unfolding? Well, this year, we're jumping into the life of this wonderful couple. But just as I was talking to some of you before, so often we just kind of neatly package Christmas. In our lives we think, oh, this is just beautiful. Christmas season and everything just happens so wonderfully. We've got lights and we've got presents. I'm going to tell you, this was not so neatly packaged for one Joseph and his betrothed, Mary. To be quite honest with you, when you look at the story This becomes very quickly more of a nightmare than it would of a pleasant dream for Mary and Joseph. Just to be honest with you. And to see how they had to navigate through those feelings of just confusion and uncertainty and doubt and despair and fear. Very clearly in the text of Scripture we see that both Mary and Joseph were struggling with fear through this. Well, I want us today to just jump a little deeper into the life of Mary. I'm telling you, we probably have all heard these things before. But it's good to remind ourselves of what Mary was going through. Um, we're going to navigate again with the exact same key idea that we studied last week in both Joseph and Mary's life. Here it is. Here's what we're kind of dialing in on in their lives. Through the tensions of life, God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. All right, we see that in both Joseph and Mary's life. Here it is again. Through the tensions of life, God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. Last week we started by zeroing in on those three words tensions of life. Have you been thinking about that this week? Those tensions. How that's defined uh, in the Webster's Dictionary, as we talked about last week, is the condition or degree of just being stretched. Something's being stretched. Well, we know so often that it's not just something. It's not just inanimate objects that get stretched. We're talking about people getting stretched. You ever been there? You're just stretched. And you don't know if you get stretched anymore. I mean, we're talking about relational tension. We're talking about... uh, Financial tension. We're talking about physical tension. That pain in your body that won't leave. We're talking about emotional tension. Sometimes this tension, whether it's physical or emotional or financial or spiritual or relational, sometimes it just pounds into the other tensions in your life and you have this mixed bowl of all kinds of tensions. And you've been there. 
You know, last week we talked about that, that knot in your stomach that won't go away. As much as you try to ignore that thought, the knot still comes back in your stomach. And sometimes you just buckle over like, ooh. Maybe that, that pain in your neck that works right up into the back of your skull. You know what I'm talking about. Anytime you think about this tension, it's like, ugh. Maybe you pillow your head at night and that tension works itself out with tears in your eyes that won't dry until you fall asleep. When you wake up in the morning with your eyes all swollen and it reminds you as soon as you look in the mirror, oh, there it is, that tension. Maybe you've been there. Last week we talked about the fact that if you've been there in your life at some point, we are in good company with Joseph and Mary in this Christmas story. This is not some pie-in-the-sky, bed-of-ease type story that we're going through with Joseph and Mary. This is a tough time for these two. Their tension was high. I mean, we read through Luke 2 and 1 and 2 in the Christmas story, and we're like, well, that's really cute. That's really cool. We read through Matthew 1 and all the perfect genealogies and it comes to what's happening in Mary's life and then we read Mary's prayers we're going to study today and see what she prayed to God and it's all neatly packaged and we're like cool but there are some serious emotions going on here and last week we looked at the fact that through the tensions of life we are called to do a couple things and we see these in the life of Joseph To put our complete trust in God through tension. And here's how it looked in the life of Joseph. And as it should look in all of our lives. Complete trust through tension demands taking God at His word. Do you remember looking at that last week? Actually believing what God says works. It's true. Even the world around us is saying, no, no, don't believe that nonsense. That's trash. Look where it got this person or that person. We wrestle with this thought every single day that I am going to take God at his word. And even beyond that, though, where does it take us? Take God at his word. But then as we see in the life of Joseph, complete trust through tension requires enduring steps of obedience. One step of obedience and another step of obedience and another step of obedience. I'm going to tell you, we don't know what the next step is five days from now. I'm going to tell you, God's calling us to make the next right step this Sunday, December 20th, 2020, to take that next right step by His grace. And that tension in your life, you try, we try to figure it out. We're good at trying to figure out what it's going to look like in 2021. You know what? All we can see is what God's placing us right here. We know the end of the story is what we hold on to, but what God has called us to do is do the next right thing and the next right thing. And that's exactly where we found Joseph. I'm going to tell you, I think it was an honest struggle for him when he was like, ah, yes, I'll obey God today by his grace. Just like it is for you and for me when we wake up out of bed some mornings and it's like, oh, that's really what you want me to do, God? You open your word and you're thinking, oh, man, I really have to love that neighbor. (laughs) I really have to respond in kindness and grace to this situation. I don't want to do that. And God Almighty is saying, hey, are you going to take me at my word and take one step of obedience at a time? That's what we saw in the life of Joseph. Very practical. Now today, the life of Mary. Here's, here's what we're going to look at. You see it on your hand out there. Complete trust through tension. I love this. It focuses on how big God is. 
Let's see this, this story unfold in Mary's life. If you'd look with me in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, and let's just kind of see some of the clues in her life. Uh, there's much more in the scriptures about Mary than there is Joseph, uh, but there is so much that we're not going to cover it in the next 30 minutes, 45 minutes here. But I want us to just read the text, kind of paint this picture of what's going on in Mary's life, and then um, I'm going to take about half the time and kind of, kind of look at her context, who this Mary was, and then about half the time uh, to talk about how she handled this tension. So let's start by seeing who she is and what she was going through. Starting in Luke chapter 1, it's also on the back of your handouts if you'd like to look there. Luke 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And if we want to talk more about betrothal, uh, I would encourage you to go back and what we talked about last week. It's basically uh, an engagement turbo mode. <laughs> it's a heightened engagement. So this Joseph was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, this angel, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Quick time out. As you would be or I would be. Be freaked out at what's happening here. Greatly troubled at the saying. Continuing on in verse 29. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. We talked about that last week. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Direct application to the prophecy to David. The Davidic covenant is how we refer to it. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. <laughs> She's trying to figure this out. I mean, another way, are you kidding me? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And verse 37, if you'd want to circle something, highlight it, whatever you want to do in your Bibles, here's a verse to hold on to in this entire story because I believe this is the phrase that Mary would have held on through through this entire narrative and through the next 35 years of her life. Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. And can we see, verse 30, 38, and Mary said, Behold, what's her response? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel took off, departed from her. This week, just reading back through this passage and meditating at my desk in my office, I don't know, my response was just simply, wow. <laughs> not very technical at all, not very theological, I just sat there and be like, wow, this is amazing. This is an absolutely amazing account of, by the Holy Spirit through a medical doctor, Dr. Luke, about the conception of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and particularly about how God's sovereign plan broke into Mary's life. And I, and I kind of use that word, broke into her life. I would say more or less slammed into Mary's life. In the life of this dear, young, godly, discreet worshiper of Yahweh named Mary. Who is this Mary? we got a picture up there. I looked at a lot of pictures of people's renditions of Mary, and I really enjoyed this one. A fellow by the name of Bruce Herman. And why? Because I really think it captures the contemplation going on in her heart. And even a sense of a, a bit of a doubt that's happening here. Well, who is this girl, Mary? Well, let's put together some of the clues and facts that we've known since we were young. We're most likely talking about a, a young lady, even in this culture, a mid-teen type lady who grew up in modest means in the insignificant Galilean town of Nazareth. Um, we talked about Joseph last week, and very possibly Joseph watched this Mary raised he watched her. He's probably much older than her. He watched her life unfold and turn from this little, you know, snotty-nosed girl into this preteen girl, into this teen. And the whole time, I bet Joseph is kind of like, wow, that's really cool what God's doing in her life. This Mary lived in a time, Joseph and Mary lived in this time called the Pax Romana. Have you heard of that? The Peace of Rome? All right, in this time period in history, this was when, when Jesus Christ came, it's kind of called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. However, this was not necessarily a great time of peace for the Jewish people, the children of Israel. They were constantly being stretched politically and abused politically. That's what this young lady, Mary, that's, that's the culture she was raised in. Mary worshipped God intentionally. I love this because apparently Mary knew God's word. She interacted with it on a personal level. We're talking about this teenage young lady that knew God's word. If you want evidence of that, in just a minute we're going to go through the prayer of Mary. And in this prayer, Mary to God, Mary's Magnificat, as it's often called from the Latin. As you see this prayer for Mary, in ten verses, twenty times she references the Old Testament in her prayer. Uh, some kind of either a quote or a reference back to what's known as the Tanakh, the three sections of the Old Testament Bible. She references each section of the Bible that she would have had some, possibly some interaction with, she referenced each section in her prayer. In this prayer, six times she calls out the characteristics, the perfections, 
the attributes of an almighty God. So when we think about this Mary, this is a young girl that loved God. This is not just a relationship her parents had with Yahweh. This is a young girl who had a personal relationship with God. This young lady, just like the case of Joseph, through Mary's father, as you kind of put the timeline, the, I mean, the, the family trees together, Mary was also born to the rightful line of King David. Mary was betrothed. She was engaged uh, a, a, a pretty strong engagement, as we talked last week, to this hardworking, honest, godly builder named Joseph. Okay, so in your minds, we're thinking, okay, you're talking about trusting God through tension. What tension would possibly be in the life of Mary? Let's just think honestly for about, for just a couple minutes. What tension's going on in Mary's life? This tension. Let's kind of paint the picture for what this tension is. Very simply, this tension is this. God's almighty, unexpected plan was a problem for her. God, you have this plan and you've showed it to me and this is a big problem in my life. By following through in obedient compliance to God's plan, Mary would be placed in a high-risk, life-threatening, comfort-shattering situation. As she obeyed God, this would make her life completely uncomfortable. She would be, I mean, think about this. She would be destroying her own reputation, Okay. This woman who loved God, and she read the Old Testament Scriptures, she would, she would read passages very likely like a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor. And she would read and interact with some of these passages. This is a, a young lady who had a worship of God and wanted other people around her to know. And now, what's going to happen to her own reputation in this situation? Clearly, in this plan, she would be perceived as What? As an immoral, unfaithful woman. She would be destroying her reputation with Joseph. Think about this. Joseph, her betrothed husband, would presume his, we presume like a soulmate type status. That this man who had she had grown fond to, I mean, is sort of like an arranged marriage, but she'd grown fond to this man. This man who probably she would stop as she's working, she would think through what her future might be in the little Joseph Jr.'s running around in this cool house that Joseph is putting up. And you know how it would be. And you're kind of just sitting back thinking, oh, this would be a pretty cool life. Shattered. The secure life with a hardworking, God-honoring man who would love and protect her and her eventual children all was now in question. Now her reputation with Joseph would seriously be destroyed. But think about her reputation with her friends, her childhood friends. Now they would look at her and you can imagine the common response would be like, yeah, right, Mary. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, an angel came and talked to you. Yeah, right. I mean, her friends, the friends she grew up with. She would be hurting her reputation of her family. Think about this. Last week we talked about Nazareth, this little culture uh, town, this little town in the mountainous area, hill area. 
where it took like two minutes for word to spread through the whole town. And this little young girl destroying her reputation with her family. We're talking about her dad, her mom. Family would be looked at with disgust. Her family would actually look at her with disgust, saying, hey, you just threw your life away, Mary. You had this dude, Joseph, really good guy. He just threw it away. Be destroying her community reputation, a community that probably shunned her and when she walked by would just shake her head. I'm telling you, Mary's life was just destroyed, shattered through this plan. Not only would she be destroying her reputation, but think about this she would be hurting people. This is tough to think about. She would be deeply hurting people in her life. We're talking about hurting the love of her life, Joseph. She would be hurting her friends, childhood friends, who would be betrayed. She would be hurting her family. Her dad would have been devastated. Her mom would have been humiliated. Oh, I've raised this girl to do this. She'd certainly be destroying their plan for their daughter as their family name was now tarnished. And and all of that, as I just mentioned, she would be hurting her loved Joseph. She would be throwing a dagger straight into his heart. Socially, her husband-to-be, his integrity, would be doubted. Emotionally, her husband-to-be, think about the emotions as we talked about last week. This Joseph, she was like kindling the anger in his heart. If I was Joseph, I'd be like, what? I'm about to go get you and the dude. That's what's going on in Joseph's mind. And actually, if you read through the scriptures in Deuteronomy, you find that Joseph was justified in that type of response, as was the whole culture of the Torah-following community. Practically, Joseph, as we talked about last week, his whole livelihood would have been at stake. This businessman, this carpenter, this mason worker, as we talked about last week, guess who's not going to go to Joseph for hire now? His whole life is destroyed. And now Mary, thinking about this little story unfolding, the story of the angel coming to her, now she's thinking, as she's processing these things, she's thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no, Joseph! we got to put bread on the table. Again, in our minds, this Christmas story is so neatly packaged, it's clean cut, it's precise, it's pretty, but it's not that way for Mary. No matter how you slice or dice this, even though there was assurance, and we know this, there's insurance, assurance of integrity and promise of divine intervention, this is no pie-in-the-sky proposition for Mary. This is tough. Tough days ahead for Mary. I think the pro- proof is in the text. She was greatly troubled when she first saw the guy, which you would be the angel, you would be as well. The angel said, do not be afraid. But then as she processed this later, you see that she was just confused. What? We have here a young lady who loved God, who had devoted her life to God, but now we find her afraid and confused. So what was her response? And I'm going to say this. Let's just bring it to the application point right now. 
There's probably been points in all of our lives where we're just afraid and confused. God, what's next? I gave, I gave my life to you. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and now I'm here? I'm a, I was told that things are going to kind of happen cool now that I'm a Christian. I'm being rejected? Hey, God, the person I love the most in my life just just passed? God, I'm being ridiculed? I'm going through this pain? God, I came to you. I gave my life to you, and now I'm struggling with another bout of cancer in my life? We've all kind of been there at some point, even if it's minor or major, to this point of uncertainty and fear. And the question we want to interact with today is, how do we respond to that? I think we find a beautiful example in Mary. And we find this is consistent with the key idea we were looking at through the tensions of life. God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. And here we see in Mary's life, that how this works out, here's how it works out. She assures herself that God is really, 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 really big. He can handle this. I absolutely love this. Mary refused to dwell on how big her present problem was, but she chose to meditate on how big her eternal God was. And that's the... That's a choice we have to make every day of our lives. Am I going to dwell on my big problem? Or am I going to meditate on my big God? Can we see how that unfolds in Mary's life? Complete trust through tension focuses on how big God is. Complete trust is believing that God is bigger than me and God is bigger than my problem. Would you would just look with me at verses 45 and 46? Let's kind of dial in at a couple things that Elizabeth and her are working through. Her relative, who's providentially pregnant with John the Baptist, proclaims this. Verse 45, blessed is she who what? Let's try that again. Blessed is he who what? Believed. Believed. There was this wrestling match in her mind. Am I really, really, really going to believe what God is telling me here? Obviously, we're not going to have an angel in this kind of situation happen again. Okay, uh, There's not going to be another conception of the great Christ child again. Jesus Christ came once for all. But I'm going to tell you, these same type things happen in our life all the time. Am I really going to believe in God Am I really going to believe? Mary says, blessed is she who believed. And then the very next verse. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. What's the response of this young lady who was going through confusion? I mean, going through traveling all the way to see Elizabeth and all the way she's thinking, oh boy, how am I going to explain this? Oh man, I'm I'm pregnant, and I'm, I haven't been with Joe. I haven't been with anybody. Oh yeah, and the, and the Holy Spirit came upon me. The angel said this to me. Oh boy, what am I going to say? You know, and we know we, we can probably, with with a fair amount of certainty, this whole angel thing coming to Joseph, as we talked about last week, there was probably a pretty good time gap between that and when Mary interacted with Joseph because of her travels to Elizabeth. 
Which means what? Probably for months she was, what am I going to tell Joseph? 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 They didn't have text messages. And Joseph texted her and said, yeah, the angel came to me last night. Months of being worried about this. And what happened? She believed to the point where she could now magnify the Lord. I love this concept of magnify the Lord. This means to cause it God to be larger in my mind. Actually, even the Greek word's a fun one. Mega Luno. <laughs> Mega. I'm making God big here because this is the only way I can get through this. This tension in my life that I can't explain, I'm confused about it, I'm hurt through it, people around me are getting hurt through it, I don't understand this, I am going to make God look big, to cause God to be held in greater esteem through the situation I'm going through. That's what's happening in Mary's life. Complete trust through tension focuses on how big God is. Now let's look at some of the specifics of this. I love this. The specifics of how she actually worked out this big God theology in her mind. Believing that a big God is capable to accomplish his big plan. Where do we see that? Well, if you look with me at verse 35. Let's start there. Because I think this is, this is the promise that was given to her that she had to attach, as we already said. The angel answered and said to her, after her confusion, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. This is what she was told. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, that was told her. And I'm telling you, I think this entire narrative as it unfolds, she holds to that with all she's got. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. In other words, hey Mary, the almighty God that you learned about and worship all your young life, He will handle the details of this. As ugly as this might get, girl, God is big enough to work this all out for you. That's what's happening here. Brothers and sisters, this is actually the story of our entire Bible. The Bible you hold on your lap right now is this. God is the God of the impossible. God is doing a great work according to his great plan. Um, weaved through this entire story is the redemptive plan of, of Jesus Christ, the great God-man who suffered and bled and died on the cross to redeem, our sin, redeem us from our sins, to rescue us, to mend the relationship with the holy God. With God, nothing is impossible. So, how does Mary respond to this information? I would just say one word. Amazingly. <laughs> if, if I, could, I mean, just look at how she responds. Look with me at verses 46 through 55. And I know it's a, it's a little lengthier of a passage, 10 verses, but I want to read how she responds through this uh, uncomfortable situation, this confusion in her life. After meeting with Elizabeth and, and the assurance of the, the baby and John the, Bap, uh, John the Baptist, which is really cool. I was talking with my father-in-law, I mentioned this the other day. This is super cool. Who recognized Jesus? One of the first ever. The first ever was a fetus. Oh, baby in the belly. John the Baptist recognizes Jesus. What does that say for our, our present situation? 
believing that a big God is capable to accomplish his plan. And we see this in this passage of verse 46. Would you look with me at verse 46? And Mary said, here it is. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. And here it is. She starts calling out who her God is. My God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He's looking into the future thinking, oh, this is going to work out. He's going to work this out by his grace. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And here it is. Holy is his name. And verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts and in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Wow! What has Mary just done? She has intentionally redirected her view from her big problem to her big God. How capable is this big God? And she is pouring out her heart as she declares God's greatness. In these ten verses, as I just mentioned, she references Old Testament texts like 20 times. She calls out six to eight primary attributes of the Almighty God that are mentioned in those Old Testament texts. It is undeniable that this young lady is redirecting her focus from how big her problem was to how big her God was. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this this, this girl, she knew how to worship. And what does she focus on as she worships? Let's just highlight a couple of these. I may go quickly through them, and I would tell you, ask you maybe this week as homework. Dial in on some of these. Here's the first one. He is the Savior. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. <laughs> Simply this, Mary saw her need to be rescued, and God was the only one who could truly do this. I, honestly, I believe as I... I don't believe as I read this that Mary truly understood the depths of her statement right here. I'm going to tell you, within 30 years of this, between 30 and 35 years of this, oh, a lot more of the pieces would come together in the puzzle for Mary. But she knew God was her only hope for rescue. Who's going to get me out of this plight? And beyond that, who's going to redeem me eternally? That's what Mary's working through. Uh, I mean, what does this say about the humanity of the Virgin Mary? Would you just interact with me uh, with that concept for just a minute? That she saw her desperate need to be rescued. She is not deity. She is not sinless. She is not to be worshipped. She's understood. She truly understood that she needed salvation. And her her salvation comes from God, not herself. 
And her response is, he's my Savior. What's another response? We've got to move a little more quickly through this. He is mighty. He is strong. Twice she says this. Verse 49 and verse 51. Verse 49 says this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. What's the point? We talk about that for a while. But what's the point? Mary focused on the fact that a big God was strong enough to work his big plan. God's got this. He's strong enough to do this. There aren't pieces of the puzzle that come together where it's like, oh, God's got from point A to B, but from B to C, I've got to figure out what's going to happen there. And then God will pick it up again from C to D. No, no, he's got it all figured out. The entire story, as it unfolds, God's big enough to work out A to B, B to C, and C to D. He's got all of that. Maybe I said that wrong. A to B, B to C, C. You understand what I'm saying? I can't even figure out how to say it. What's another one? He is holy. Verse 49. This precious young lady working through this crazy information she got, trying to navigate through this confusion, she says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Maybe she interacted with texts of the scripture like Isaiah 6 where Isaiah was confronted with the holiness of God and he cries out, holy, holy, holy. This is the God she knew. This God is distinct. This God is incomparable in his nature, his attributes, his plan. His name is above every name. Mary recognized that there was absolutely no one and nothing that could compare to this God. Honestly, as she's praying this and singing this, I see a young lady's heart's overwhelmed with joy as she's trusting God, but also a young lady that, as you, as you very well know, maybe in your prayer times or your sing times, as you stop halfway through and your, that doubt starts to poof, pops in your brain for just a second. I can imagine as she's going through this, it's like, and holy is his, holy is his name! Yes! He's got this, he's big enough, and he is distinct. There's no one that compares to this guy. He is merciful. She's just systematically coming up with this amazing theology by God's grace. He is merciful. Verse 50 says this, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Through her tension, Mary is highlighting the kindness and compassion of Almighty God to people that absolutely do not deserve His kindness. Talk about a right perspective in life. Honestly, how do we often approach our theology? It's with an I deserve this mentality. I deserve that God does this for me. I deserve this. And I deserve this. What about a young lady that says, I'm a servant of you, oh God, do what you need to do with me. She doesn't stop there, though. Some of these attributes of God that we like to kind of navigate through in our sermons and our discussions with people, well, she pounds them out in her magnificent here. Especially her justice, the justice of God. He's completely fair in all of his dealings with mankind. Look with me in verses 51 to 53. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. By the way, there's so many similarities between this and Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. I, I, I really think probably, just a quick insight, I, I mean, I think probably as, as, as Mary was working through this, she ran back to the Old Testament and reread Hannah's story over and over and over and over again. And Hannah's prayer. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary isn't setting God straight on her opinion of what is fair here. That's how we often approach theology. No, God, this is fair. This is fair. No, she is wholeheartedly recognizing that God will deal fairly with both the needy and the sinner. Let's look at one last one. One last attribute Mary highlights. He's a helper, a provider. You could put in there, and he's an eternal helper and provider because it talks about generation to generation. But verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In tension, God is big enough to provide help and support. By the way, did this happen in the life of Mary? Absolutely. Think about what Mary would have gone through over the next two years. Let's think about this. Even what she was going through right here, the reassurance of a relative Elizabeth and the baby jumping in her womb. Guess what? I believe when she went back to her room that night, Mary couldn't get that out of her mind. Whoa, God, God you did that. You did that. Ah, you really made that happen. The entire time I was worried about what I was going to say to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth came to me, and the baby jumped. You did that, God. That reassurance of God that he's helping her through this. What about the reassurance of the angels explaining things to Joseph? Can you imagine what Mary was? She probably processed in her mind like 50 different varieties of how she was going to explain this to Joseph. I did this, and this happened, and the angels said, no, that sounds weird. I did this, and that, and this. And when she comes to Joseph, and Joseph's like, hey, guess what? Angel came to me too. Oh, I bet tears just ran down her face. Angel came to you, Joseph? Thank you, God. What about the reassurance of the worship of the shepherds on the night of the birth when they're kicked out? And we talked about this last week. I don't think it wasn't just no vacancy type situation. It was go out there and sleep with the animals because that's how you're acting. That's how they were seen in that culture. Get out there in the stable. What do you think she would have done when the shepherds just randomly showed up and started worshiping Jesus? And Joseph's nudging her like, you seeing these guys poking their heads around the door right there? And she just looks at him and tears start rusting down her face. Thank you, God. What about when they sheepishly walk into the temple those days later to try to the purification rites of Jesus? And all of a sudden, I mean, they're just kind of like, Yep, we're going to the temple. Anna and Simeon show up and start proclaiming to everyone, Hey, here he is! Joseph and Mary are like, No! And then they nudge each other and be like, Yeah, God did this. I mean, all the way through this, what about when you're two years into this or so, or whenever the wise men show up. I mean, we talked about the wise men last year. It was probably a good amount of time. And they're working through this, and you think about Joseph's life and his livelihood, probably he wasn't making the most money in his life at this point. 
Alright, they're back in Bethlehem and they're struggling through this and guess who shows up? These magi from the east. And they show up and they're like, "What? how are we going to put bread on the table? They come with gold, frankincense, myrrh. And then God says, get to Egypt. And the whole time they're thinking, oh, praise you, almighty God, because guess what? You provided for us. You provided for the next right thing. And I think it's this relationship of Joseph taking God at his word and taking one step of obedience at a time and Mary trusting in a big God as it comes together in this relationship. It's a beautiful example of trust through tension that we are to interact with every day of our lives. How big is our God? I need to wrap this up, but I do want to make one quick point here. It'll be a quick one. Believing that a big God is capable to accomplish his plan is part of this, but also believing that a big God will empower the humble in his plan. This is, a, I believe, a key part of this story. Notice Mary's response three times. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. What about verse 48? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 52, He has exalted those of humble estate. There's two basic observations here. God pays close attention to his servants. I, I love the word. He has looked upon them. That's a, that's a word when it says looked on, it means diligently look after. He plays, pays close attention with genuine concern to his servants. He has brought down the mighty their thr- from their thrones, verse 52 says, and exalted those of humble estate. What does that remind you of? You know what it reminds me of? Another passage in scriptures, James 4.10. By the way, who is James? Half-brother of Jesus. The son of Mary. And what does James say? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What does Peter say? A close friend. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. When will he exalt you? In due time. It's not going to happen right when we snap our fingers. It's not going to happen tomorrow. That tension you're working through in your mind right now, guess what? It might not all get ironed out by Monday morning. But in due time, in God's time, it will get ironed out. As you obey one step at a time, as you take God at His word, as you meditate on how big God is, guess what? God's going to work it out in His own time. So what? In your tension, who are you truly focusing on? Can we just ask that question? You know the tension that's coming up in your mind right now. We're so tempted to just kind of be introspective here and just kind of dwell on struggles, me. That's the nature of who we are. To gaze on our problems and glance at our God. I'm going to tell you, the situation here in this story is the opposite. Gaze on your God and glance at your problem. Glance at your problem not enough to, to work. By God's grace, put effort into it. Nonetheless, gazing at your God. Who are you truly? Who are we? I should say we because this is in my life right now more than I could ever explain. What are we doing through this? 
focusing on you and your issue or God and his greatness. In our attention, who will we primarily focus on? Who we look at nonstop? Sure, the massive details we're going to work through, but we gaze on God, not on me. You're not gazing on yourself or your problem or your temptation, but on God. His supreme nature and character as the great creator and sustainer of all life. As we close out 2020, for the next 10 days, roughly, as we think about what's happened this last year in so many of our lives and the ups and downs, the loss of life, sicknesses, loss of jobs, broken relationships, all of this in our lives, can we truly focus on a big God who has a precise plan for you and for me? A big God who has provided a Savior for you and for me? A big God who has graciously provided for you the necessary support for every single day. He doesn't skip a day. A big God who will lift you up in His due time. Amen. I guess we're going to chapter 5, Steve. And chapter 6. I got one more question before Steve's phone goes off some more. I don't know if you can hear that back there, but it was perfect. Last question. Will we purposely praise your big God? Will you purposely praise your big God? Intentionally praise God. That's the last thing we want to do sometimes when we're going through the depths of despair is to praise God. But will you find yourself with Mary praising your good God this week? Hey, call out the exact same attributes of God if you need to. Maybe sing to him for maybe some of us or most of us saying to him (laughs) through our attention right now, praising God from an overwhelmed heart. I want to make one quick mention of this because I think this is so appropriate in the whole story time, story of what's unfolding here. If you go to chapter two, you're going to find this really cool verse. Think on it. You know it. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Think about that one. All of this story unfolding. And Jesus is born and she's watching all of this happen and she's pondering it in her heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this week, as we walk through this Christmas season, will you ponder how big your God is and not neglect to praise Him? So God... That's the prayer of our heart. Thank you so much that we can navigate, we can walk through these wonderful texts. We see a bit of Mary's life today. Encourage ourselves in how big you are. I pray, God, today that this would not be just something we study about on a Sunday morning, but this would translate into intentional action this week. We're forced to doubt, complain, despair, we're forced to go to places we should not to find a comfort in our discouragement and our depression. I pray, God, that we would run to the fact that you are a big God who has a big plan and in due time you are working it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
I just think through this sometimes. That in our minds, we kind of get the, the Disney mentality of these stories. Like, oh, these are really cute, really cool. We kind of look at these in our minds inadvertently sometimes as fictional, maybe unintentionally, but it kind of works that way. But brothers and sisters in Christ, this really happened. And there was a real young lady struggling with a real issue who trusted in a real God. Would you pray that through the real issues you are going through right now that you would trust in a big God? This doesn't mean the pain's not going to go away. It'll be there. Most assuredly, it will be there. But how do you handle that pain? Doubt? Worries? In this passage, we find in the prayer of Mary, most likely around 20 times she quotes the scriptures. Where do we find comfort? I'll tell you this week, when you're grasping for comfort, read God's word. There may be some here today that you might be saying, Pastor Andrew, a lot of that made sense. I've heard the story before, but not all of it. I want to just say this. There's no accident that you're here today to worship. God Almighty has shown His grace to you by bringing you here to hear of Jesus. This Jesus who went to the cross to bear, to pay for our sins. He was our substitute on the cross. Why did He need to be a substitute? We're here just very simply. Because just as Mary acknowledges we are sinners, God is holy, and God is just. God had to deal with that sin. He could not ignore it. And the beauty of the good news, what's known as the gospel, is that God sent Jesus to pay for that sin that is condemning you. He paid for it on the cross. And he conquered sin and death by raising from the dead. And the question is this. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, would today be that day? Place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Come to Him. Jesus Christ Himself talks about repenting. Would you, we call it repentant faith. Turning from your sin and trusting in God. Today, would you, do, would you call on Jesus to save you? If you have more questions about that, I'm going to be hanging around here at the front afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more about that. There's going to be some uh, chaplains that will kind of be up in the front, just kind of hanging around. If you'd like to pray with somebody, they would love to pray, talk with you more about that. For the rest of us who have come to Jesus in faith, our faith is still being tested. And would you pray with me one last thing this week, that through this entire week we would see a big God to reassure ourselves on the fact that God is really, really, really big. So thank you, God, for the time we could spend interacting with these passages, thinking about the life of Mary, and I pray as we go our ways today, we would be encouraged. We think on the life of Jesus, that Jesus came, was born, in the humble means, 
came as the Lamb of God, but He will come back as the reigning King, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And I pray, God, that we would enjoy these thoughts. Just as Mary, we would treasure them in our hearts and ponder them. And I pray today as we leave and we sing that He shall reign forevermore, that our hearts would be encouraged. Thank you for every single person here today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.